0: Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair. Pull up a chair. Pull up a futon. (laughs) Pull up a rocker. Pull up an air mattress. You are listening to Israel News Talk Radio.com And it is just delightful to be with you again today. Let's start off our romper room moment by saying, wow, is it late at night? The United States listeners are in from there. Tover it's Israel. Hi, Canada. Ireland is with us this morning. Brazil, the Republic of Moldavia and South Africa is listening in. And guess what? As more and more join the conversation, I think it's a little one-sided conversation, but as we'll let you know, okay, we're hands across the ocean, across the water. Um, Let's see. So today, on today's show, I mean, listen, it's going to be a mellow show because I'm in a mellow place. I have to be in a mellow place because apparently I'm going to be babysitting again next week, which means that there are children who are going to be in absolute emotional, spiritual, and physical danger here in Israel. They're called my grandchildren. Um, Also, I don't know about you, but the train, the time train seems to be running away. What do they say about life? It's like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster, (laughs) the less that's left on the roll. Um, I mean, I just closed my eyes. We just had Hanukkah and suddenly we're prepping. The stores are filled with Purim. Uh, paraphernalia, and everyone's making their Pesach plans. I don't know. Is COVID a thing of the past? Not quite sure. Um, certainly in Scandinavia it is, and I think that the mask mandates are being knocked down in Israel as of the 1st of March. Let me know if you hear otherwise. And um, people just seem ready to live, but that Jewish calendar is a racing baby, and I also have to make some Plans. And um, let's see, what else are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to talk about things about the difference between being a human doing, do, 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 do run, 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 and being a human being, the being of it all. My name is Andrea Simintov, and guess what? I'll see you on the other side. And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I don't know if I mentioned that we also have my beloved South Africa listening in. That really makes me feel kind of warm and fuzzy. My Indeed, my second home. I do also want to mention that I received some lovely mail this week. Really super duper mail. I love getting it. Um, these listeners wrote to Andrea at Israel Is it Andrea? Yeah. Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And I like it. Hold my feet to the fire. Some of the notes were a little challenging, questioning, and wanted me to send information, kind of repeat things that were said on the show, uh, printed versions, and always happy to do that. Oh, Guatemala has joined us this morning. That is really nice. Hands across the mountains, hands across the oceans. All right. So, You all know that I I, last week's show was my first show in a really long time, and it was. I felt so blessed. It was really wonderful to be able to get behind the mic and feel this connection. Um, Perhaps that's one of the gifts of this horrible two and a half, three year period called COVID. You know, at first I remember doing things on on the internet, meeting with grandchildren, um, having uh, coaching meetings, and it felt so stiff, so. Artificial, and yet you do something long enough, you can make it yours. And getting behind the mic really, for me on a personal level, made me feel very much at home with those who really take the time, put it on their schedule, and listen in. It means a great deal. There's no arrogance at this end. And if you ever hear it, call me on it. So, when I was overseas, I was overseas for a while. I'm going overseas again, please God, soon for Passover. Pesach, We will call it on the station. And something was like we say, (laughs) or something was itching me beneath the surface and I couldn't quite place it. Usually when I travel, I go from my Jewish ghetto into another Jewish ghetto. I kind of go ghetto to ghetto. Uh, Jewish neighborhood, <laughs> wherever I go, it smells like chicken fat. So anyway, chicken soup, soup. Nobody does the fat anymore. No more smells. But anyway, suddenly I was in this um, environment that was very decidedly not Jewish. I was a, a teeny, teeny minority where I was Very. It was fascinating. I was actually looking forward to it, being in a place that was not my culture, not my ethnicity. And kind of seeing how my life, really the music, the rhythm of my life, adapts to that vast real world. Some of us who live these really um, intrinsically Jewish lives, I think that we forget, you know, Israel is the size of New Jersey. Israel thinks it's the size of of all of Asia or all of the you know, Western world. We don't know that we're small. Ask any Israeli tourist. Oh, I own it. Anyway, I couldn't place my finger on what it was that was bothering me. And it dawned on me that when the Sabbath came, Shabbat arrived. Nobody shut And again, this is not just because I was overseas. I mean, you could have this anywhere in Israel. You could have it in Jerusalem in communities, but it's harder. It's a little harder because all around Israel, you're aware that it is the Shabbos. Even if you're in a completely secular area, there will be some stores closed. There will be less buses, no buses. Um, There will be many observant people, even in the most secular communities here. You can't get away from it. But when you are the only one who's observing the Jewish Sabbath, it really kind of hits you in the head that you see that nobody is shutting off. Not for a moment. Saturdays, Dare I call it a Saturday? It was filled with yard work and shopping, cooking for the week, catching up with relatives, all good, wholesome stuff, I saw it. Homework was being, you know, projects, people were painting, it was a lot more shopping, people were running obsessively, running on tracks, marathon, bicycle riding, and, and Sundays were the same, except the family time was so structured and planned as an outsider, as a Shomeret Shabbat, a Sabbath observant outsider, I found myself having trouble breathing. And I have to tell you, I tend to sometimes be hard on myself. What was my first instinct? Not these people really need Shabbos. But instead I said, you know, Andrew, maybe you're a little primitive. These are modern people. These people have access to all the information that you have. But then I thought to myself, How exhausting to always be on. The glory of Shabbat is that when we turn off, we tune in to constantly be producing, not just for yourself, but for one another. Parents producing for children, husbands, wives, significant partners producing for one another. What happens in this world, in the non-Sabbath observant world, when you stop producing and you sit back, they say you dropped out, you hid, you couldn't hack it. I really intuited that people's value lessened in the eyes of one another were they to stop Were they just to sit? And you know, I was thinking about cortisone cream. We have a lot. (laughs) It's not. I tell you, it's not a non sequitur. I know where I'm going with this. Stick with me. Anybody here who has any eczema in their family, anybody with skin conditions, knows that the cortisone creams that are so frequently, um, so frequently uh, prescribed by physicians, they don't work when they're slathered on. They need air. The scalp, as a hairdresser, I can tell you, the scalp needs air. You know what else needs air? The soul. So I mentioned last week that the Shabbat took on a different depth when I found myself immersed in a world that was not mine. Eyes were on me. And suddenly, I realized there's so much I take for granted living in this holy land. I didn't cut corners as I might have in my smug, so easy to be Jewish world. I suddenly became more entrenched and devoted to the letter of the law. And with that, I found previously undiscovered gems of feeling, sensory experiences that I know God has gifted us with if only we'll reach into that grab bag. Now, I've always looked forward to the Shabbat because, frankly, I need the rest. I work hard. I love my menu and I love to cook. I enjoy Friday night guests. But the real gift, I kid you not, comes from feeling Hashem's hand On the small of my back or on the nape of my neck that hand encouraging me to feel more connect more love harder discover kindness and indeed hone humility if we let it shabbat can be a very very busy time but not busy with the legs and the arms busy with that vibrant soul. These gifts cannot be discovered when we're in strife. It's only when we let that quiet in and magically discover the miracle of our respective existences and how much, in fact, we are loved. So I would encourage anyone whether it be late at night, when it's Erev Shabbat, or even during the week. Prepare to receive, prepare to stop doing and to be. If necessary, even during the week, to hone that spiritual muscle in preparation for the gift that he gives us. We can take a shower and wash off that day, have a cup of tea, lie down and close our eyes and notice the silence, notice our hearts, our hearts beat. We made it. All of us, we can make it one more day and we're doing fine. Let's let God handle the rest. I encourage everyone to find their way to stop and discover the Shabbat because it really is, I see now how I could not know it is the key to happily ever after and indeed when we discuss um, when we're going to discuss later on the Parsha, we're going to talk about exactly that and what makes us different than the rest of the world and indeed a step above the animals. Okay. Okay. Um, Last Shabbos at our table, we discussed something. I want to just throw it past you and think about it during the break. A note to anyone who needs to hear it. We don't get over or move on from trauma. We are forced to make a space for it, to carry it. Those who are healthy among us learn to live with it. And sometimes, indeed, thrive, not just in spite of it, but because of it. We're built for all that stuff. We are built. We don't have to therapy away everything, pill away everything, drink away everything. Goes back to what I said, human being. My name is Andrea Simitov. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For Lighting Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel. Only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And we're back. Andrea told pull up a chair on Israel news talk radio.com. you know i print out a lot of this stuff that i want to share with you and sometimes it's like too negative and i'm not in the mood for it so we're going to try to keep it feel good stuff uh, you can, there's enough news out there there's enough uh, um doomsday mongers and do a much better job than i do so came across a story and of course you know that i'm going to paraphrase an ad-lib because Um, that's just what I do. But anyway, came across an, it was a Facebook post actually, but it's gone. I think it's gone viral. And you, if you've heard it, that's okay. Go get a cup of coffee. I hope I do it Uh, justice. So there's a family from Alon Shvut. That's really not far from me here. It's in Gush Etzion. And they were vacationing. The name of the family is Schlesinger. I'm throwing out all the names because the people, this has been very public. So the Schlesinger family from Alon Shvut, they were vacationing in Northern Israel and their 28-year-old son, Elisha, was driving up to be with them for Shabbat. Okay, so it's it's really quite a quite a drive up there. So he needed to refuel, but he kept missing the turnoffs as he was speeding towards his destination. I cannot tell you, Erev Shabbat is here, can be a little tense on the road. So he passed five gas stations and he finally decided to pull into the next one. And he looked at his watch. It was three hours before Shabbat. And he was an hour from his destination. Not bad. Three hours. You're an hour away. Drive slowly. Have a cup of coffee. All in all, the timing was good. He even probably could squeeze in a shower. So as he filled up his car, he noticed there was a woman with children standing next to their car at the gas station. And he approached her and he asked if he could help. So what does she say? This woman, I accidentally filled my car with diesel fuel instead of regular. And now it won't start. So Alicia listened to this predicament and he realized that there was no time before Shabbat to Remove the fuel. The car obviously needed professional attention, and there were no mechanics on duty at the station. That's what I try to tell you about. You know it's Shabbos around the country. Friday afternoon, there's no mechanics anywhere. Arab, Jewish, nothing. So he asked her, where are you headed? And so she said to Alei Zahav in the Shamron. He knew exactly where this was. This is three hours away. There were three hours until Shabbat. She needed to get there. But how? She was frantic. It seemed impossible. But Alicia, he's one of our boys, and he knows impossible does not exist. He didn't think twice. He gives her the keys to his car, and he says, take my keys. Start driving to Aleh Zahab. I filled it up. You have plenty of gas. You'll make it just in time. Here's my cell phone number. Let's be in touch after Shabbat, and we can figure out how to get the car back to me. I was silent for A reason. Are you sitting with that? Are you sitting with that? So clearly the woman was stunned. Thankfully, she also didn't have time to think about this young man, this total stranger, giving him a car. She thanked him, took off for Alay Zahav. Meanwhile, Alicia, he calls his father, he explains the situation. His father hops in the car, picked him up. Everyone made it for Shabbat. On Sunday, the woman returned with the car. She met Alicia's mother and told her how amazed she was by her son's kindness and his generosity. And Alicia's mother, she was, you know, she had a lot of Nachas there. She really was beaming in pride. Well, how can I thank him? What does he need? What kind of present does he need? said the woman. Alicia's mother said, He doesn't need a present, he needs a wife. The story's not over, obviously, if Andrea is reading the story. When she gets home, the woman who still is nameless, she wrote up the encounter and posted it on her Facebook page, adding that Elisha was see, seeking a wife. She told the whole story. Ideas came pouring in. And one of the first suggestions was a woman named Naomi. I've got goosebumps sharing this. I'm happy to tell you that this is a, this story was reported by, let me see, this was Rabbi Yosef Tzvi Rimon, the rabbi who officiated at the wedding between Naomi and Elisha. Think about it. Really, just think about it. Two people on a taking a trip, an ordinary Friday afternoon, bump into each other at a random gas station in the north of Israel, where I got to tell you, it's a little isolated, both displaying these great acts of kindness. Elisha's selflessness to help a woman in distress and this woman's act of kindness in not saying, yeah, the guy really should get married soon, but finding him a life partner. no. It's not an ordinary Friday afternoon at all. Someone above is watching, helping, moving the pieces on the holy chessboard. I just thought that that was just lovely. Okay. Let's see. Let's keep up in the upbeat. Isn't that great? I can actually send you the actual, write to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I'll actually send you the original posting, but it's been all over. All right. Um, here we go. Something else came across. I just like this. Who is this actually by? Yeah. So um, this was the author, Mario D. Andrade. And I don't know who he is. I will look it up. But I really like this quote. I found it rife with Torah, although clearly this is not from a Jew. But as I tell you, Torah is everywhere. God's blueprint is everywhere. And what does Andrade say? I counted my years and found that I have less time to live from here on than I have lived up till now. I feel like that child who won a packet of sweets. He ate the first with pleasure, but when he realized that there were few left, he began to enjoy them intensely. I no longer have time for endless meetings with statutes, rules, procedures, and internal regulations are discussed, knowing that nothing will be achieved. I no longer have time to to support the absurd people who, despite their chronological age, haven't grown up. My time is too short. I want the essence. My soul is in a hurry. I don't have many sweets in the package anymore. I want to live next to human people, very human, who know how to laugh at their mistakes and who are not inflated by their triumphs and who take on their responsibilities. Thus, human dignity is defended and we move towards truth and honesty. It is the essential that makes life worth living. I want to surround myself with people who know how to touch hearts. People who have been taught by the hard blows of life to grow with gentle touches of the soul. Yes, I'm in a hurry. I'm in a hurry to live with the intensity that only maturity can give. I don't intend to waste any of the leftover sweets. I'm sure they'll be delicious much more than what I have eaten so far. My goal is to reach the end satisfied and at peace with my loved ones and my conscience. We have two lives, and the second begins when you realize you only have one. I like that a lot. All right. Let's see now. Oh, talking about knowledge. Okay. I think we only have a few minutes left in this segment. So before I wax wax any more uh, poetic here, came across an article that says a lifetime of knowledge can clutter memories of older adults. Okay. So I hope I won't drown you in too much information here. This came from some it was a good science. It was a scientific source that I can throw it at you. But it says when a person tries to access a memory, their brain quickly sifts through everything stored in it to find the relevant information. Why did I even come up with this? I got a note from my cousin Carol yesterday. <laughs> I don't know how to call Carol. Maybe Carol's 70-ish now. And I'm not far behind. And she said to me, hey, Andrea, did you have a job? Hedda, get better. Did you have a doll? Hedda, get better. And apparently it came with a with a thermometer and paste on (laughs) paste on um, uh, chicken pox. And I said, I don't think I had that dial. She goes, yeah, we kept turning her head around. Anyway, we we're trying to go back. And eventually it was my sister, Cindy, who remembered I love that doll. But if I would see her today, it would be like a scene from The Exorcist. Anyway, I was thinking I was struggling about this. But, you know, as we age, many of us have difficulty in retrieving those memories. So there was a review published in the Trends in Cognitive scientists it was just last week and they proposed that there's an explanation to why this may be happening the brains of older adults i really shouldn't be laughing at this article it's not funny it's not funny maybe i can't remember that it's serious the brains of older adults allocate more space to accumulated knowledge and have more material to navigate when attempting to access memories while there's this wealth of uh, material to navigate, prior knowledge can make memory retrieval challenging. And the researchers say, however, that it has its upsides. Life experience can aid with creativity and decision making. I'm not going to bore you with all of these names. I just found this fascinating. I was lucky that I was remembering to I could remember to print this out and share this with you. Um, Researchers focused primarily on the difficulties that cluttered memories can pose, they also highlight a few situations in which these crowded memory scapes can be useful. Evidence suggests that older adults show preserved and at time enhanced creativity as a function of enriched memories. It's possible that the increased binding and richer encodings of older adults can even be leveraged to improve older adults learning and memory i found that fascinating really okay back to back to feeling our health, feeling who we are feeling our connection to heaven when we come back we're going to need to do uh we're going to do of course parsha but just as a reminder you none of us but let me say you You are not the darkness you endured. You are the light that refused to surrender. And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair on Israel News Talk Radio.com. Really, my favorite segment, my favorite part of the week, because when we're done with this, we go into, well, <laughs> almost Shabbos mode. And I can't get enough of that. You think this show had a theme today? I think so. And I think we're going to actually keep it up. So, came across um, this week a lot of our, well, a lot of my material comes from. Some of the thoughts I have come from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Zatzal, and Rabbi Beryl Wine, among others. And I'm going to throw in the uh, credits when we get them. But we're talking about this week's Parsha. And Rabbi Sachs asks us, what do you do when your people have just made a golden calf, run riot, lost all sense of morality and spiritual direction? So how can we restore moral order? And uh, not just then in the days of Moshe, but even today. So Alexis Tocqueville, I really, I didn't know much about Tocqueville. I think I, you know, hit, hit it in um, history class. He was a French aristocrat, a diplomat, a diplomatic a political science scientist. He died in 1859, which was interesting. They died young then, but he had made it to America. He studied America because... He knew that something miraculous was going on in the new world. And he came to some fascinating conclusions of American society versus uh, French society. So he talked about that in um, religion in America strengthened marriage. And he believed that strong marriages were essential to free societies. He wrote, Uh, And I quote Tocqueville, as long as family feeling is kept alive, the opponent of oppression is never alone. It also led people to form communities around places of worship. It encouraged people in these communities to act together for the sake of the common good. The great danger in a democracy, said Tocqueville, is individualism. People come to care about themselves, not about others. As for the others, the danger is that people will leave their welfare to the government, a process that ends in the loss of liberty as the state takes on more and more of the responsibility for society as a whole. I think quite frequently, this is Andrea talking, I think frequently about this audience or this community, both the Israel News Talk radio community and the community that tunes into this show each week. When I talk about hands across the mountain Um, you know, that kind of a thing. I really am speaking about all of us kind of on the same page or trying to grow in the same direction. So Rabbi Sachs says that, well, that what protects Americans against these twin dangers is that encouraged by religious convictions um, actually, this Tocqueville that the associations, charities, voluntary organizations—what in Judaism we call chevrot—that um, that Tocqueville was fascinated that Americans formed these local groups to deal with the problems in their lives. Mm-hmm. He called this the art of association, and he said that it was the apprenticeship of. Liberty. And it was all, of course, it was the complete opposite of what he knew in France, where religion in the form of the Catholic Church had a lot of power, but frankly had little influence. Um, So there was a book, I I love this, Harvard sociologist Robert Putnam. He was very famous in the 1990s. I remember reading about this later on that more and more Americans were going 10 pin bowling, but fewer were joining bowling clubs and leagues. He took it as a metaphor for a society that has become individualistic rather than community minded. He called it bowling alone. It was a paraphrase. It was a phrase that summed up the loss of social capital. Um, years later, this, this Putnam, um, he revised his thesis and he said that there was a powerful store of social capital still existing But it was to be found where, surprise, surprise, in places of worship. Survey data showed that frequent church or synagogue goers were more likely to give money to charity, regardless of whether or not the charity is religious or secular. They were also more likely to do voluntary work for charities, give money to a homeless person, spend time with someone who is feeling depressed, offer a a seat to a stranger, or help someone find a job. More fascinating to me is that on almost every measure, they're demonstratively more altruistic than non-worshippers, but it goes beyond this. Um what was the oh yeah here it was. The margin of difference, here it was. Wait a second I find this great line that I loved it. Wait. I know that I'm going to mess this up that people that were atheists, but I'm trying to find this one second. A uh, frequent, tested on attitudes, religiosity as measured by church or synagogue attendance is the best predictor of altruism and empathy better than education, age, income, gender, or race. Perhaps the most interesting of Putnam's findings was that these attributes were related not to people's religious beliefs, but to the frequency with which they attended a place of worship and this was what i wanted to say that blew my mind that um religion creates community community creates altruism altruism turns us away from self and toward the common good he goes so far as to speculate that an atheist who went regularly to synagogue perhaps because of a spouse would be more likely to volunteer or give to charity than a religious believer who prays alone um i remember i remember rabbi rabbi um rabbi avraham twersky telling a wonderful story about a fellow who kept attending AA meetings and he would never join the final circle at the end where you give it up to a higher power because he would say to Rabbi Tworsky, I, I can't I'm not I may be a drunk, but I'm not a liar and I don't believe in God and I can't join the circle. And then several years later, he does join the circle and Rabbi Tworsky said to him, aha, so I see you do believe in God now. And he said, no, not really. But I did discover that I am not God Um, Interesting, the communities we create. Moreshet Moshe, uh, Diane Moshe Swift says, Jews cannot be numbered in persons. This gets us back to the synagogue question. Jews are numbered in souls. The strength of the nation of the world is quantity. The strength of the Jews is quality. No one in the world would dare belittle the good Jewish heart. But with that heart must go the soul. There is no distinction in Jewish life between the laws that affect the heart and the laws that affect the soul. Both have their origin at Sinai. To tread on human decency, to make promises and dishonor them, is just as wrong as to be honest and keep a promise, but to discard religious values and duties of the soul. Rabbi Swift says, don't put life before the laws and then find it difficult for religion to catch up. Put the laws before life and let life catch up. Familiar theme to the beginning of the show? This is the message of the shekalim, where each Jew gave a half of a shekel. It was an indication that it is only half of Jewish duty, one half heart and the other half soul. There should be a happy combination of religious duty and heartfelt generosity. Okay. Also, the sages state, okay, I'm going to get in trouble with the um, armchair feminists around here, but hey, (laughs) I don't care. So the sages, or as we will say in this show, Chazal, state that God gave women greater understanding than he gave men. So this statement proves that he did not that that women are not viewed in Judaism as inferior uh, as inferior beings. Quite the contrary. Our rabbis assessed women as being gifted with superior understanding as evidenced by their lack of participation with the golden calf. Even so, I got to throw this in this disclaimer. um, They designate this understanding as applying to household tasks with the underlying intention of making the woman the foundation of the family unit and the mother of both the home and the family. This direction stems from the outlook and recognition that women, by their nature, are designated for these tasks. I say this with a full heart. This is our purpose and that of our daughters in the world. Whoever sees this as degrading, you're mistaken. The woman's role is the most exalted and important in creation. It's not in vain. The wise king in uh, Mishle praises the Jewish woman of valor, valor who employs her wisdom towards exalted ends. For the purpose which she was sent down to earth, we read, the wisdom of women builds her house. The holy house the woman erected has stood the Jewish people in good stead from inception to this very day. I throw this out here to all of us. If something is off, if something is megared or something is itching under the skin, ladies, let's look to our homes and see where we can exercise our holy power, our holy grace, our holy gift. Okay, wow, wow, this raced. In conclusion, um, the absence of the ordinary reminds us of the extraordinary. Okay? On Shabbat, celebrating Shabbat both public and private, as I did in South Africa recently, reminds us where we are and what type of life we are being encouraged to follow. The Shabbat will continue to protect Jerusalem, just as Jerusalem, will continue to protect Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom from Jerusalem. If you love Israel News Talk Radio,